Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I thought this morning I'd like to start off with kind of a little informal poll, okay? So um, this is going to require a little audience participation. Um, But here's a question. Um, How many wish that you made more than you currently earn? Anybody? Okay, show of hands. Come on, don't be shy. How many are sitting next to somebody who really believes that but doesn't want to admit it? Okay. Second question. How many had that very same wish 10 years ago? Last question. How many are actually making more than you did 10 years ago? Yeah? Okay. Welcome to the truth about more. (laughs) Because it seems no matter how much we have, we just want more. I think one of the bi- a big part of the nation, our nation's economic mess, I believe that one of the greatest so- sources of stress and pressure in our own personal finances and all of the worry and anxiety we have about money can come down to one little four-letter word, more. More. We've got it in our brain that if only, if only I earned not a lot, just a little more money. If only I had a house with a little more room. If only I had a car with just a few more optional features. If only my career was just a little more successful. If only my computer had just one gig more of RAM. (laughs) And that's the myth. That's the myth. We don't want a lot, just a little more. And the truth about more is that more is an appetite. And like every appetite, what happens when you feed the appetite? Does it grow or does it diminish? It grows. And yet we keep thinking, but if just a little bit more, then I would be content. Then I would be fine. I believe that the pursuit of more and the resulting debt that we accumulate because of it is probably one of the greatest sources of tension and stress and anxiety and worry. And I know when I say that this morning, I am not telling you anything that you do not already know. We all know that, but we live as if it's not the truth. We started this series last week taking a look at what Jesus has to say about money what he has to say about material possessions. Because I believe he is the wisest man that ever lived in every area of life, but especially in the area of money. And he has some very, very sound advice. And he doesn't want us to live under this bondage and slavery to more. And he's got some real sound advice for us. We're picking it up where we left off last week. Matthew 6. Um, last week we ended up in verse 24. If you've got Bible, you might want to turn there. If you uh, want to use one of those in the, in the seat next to you, um, page 961. But he goes on in verse 25 and Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add one single hour to his life? 
And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's some incredible insight there. And I believe Jesus wants us to understand this whole thing about material possessions and money. Because as we talked about last week, it's the root of our heart. It's the revealer of our heart. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. And that's why he spoke so much about it. And, and if we will listen to him, if we will take his words to heart and put him into practice, I believe he will lead us out of the seduction of more. And he will lead us into a place of balance and margin and breathing room when it comes to our finances. His teaching can lead us into that kind of freedom. And so a couple of things I want to look at this morning with you. What does Jesus have to say? He continues on with this whole thing. And I think one of the first things we've got to learn about this whole thing about contentment is we need to recognize how truly rich we are. Jesus said that's the first thing. Recognize how truly rich that you are. Because our pursuit of more blinds us to our true wealth. We talked about that last week. We talked about this whole idea. What is it that you focus on more? The things you do have or the things you don't have? Because as long as our focus is on the things that we don't have, that drives this pursuit for more. And when we do that, it blinds us to what we really do have. And by most of the world's standards, we who live in North America, in the United States, particularly California, Bay Area particularly, by every standard that the world could measure, we are incredibly wealthy. We are incredibly wealthy. Let me read to you out of uh, Randy Elkhorn's book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. He writes this. If you made only $1,500 last year, that is more than 80% of the people on earth. If you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or apartment, and have a reasonably reliable means of transportation, you are among the top 15% of the world's wealthy. I don't feel that wealthy. (laughs) If you have any money saved, a hobby that requires some equipment or supplies, a variety of clothes in your closet, two cars in any condition, and live in your own home, you are in the top 5% of the world's wealthy. By every standard in our world, we are incredibly rich. But we still want more. Because the issue is not income. The issue is lifestyle. And you read those st- statistics, and you, you know, most of the world lives on like $5 a week. You know, and and, and, and how, how, how poor they are and how, how hard they scratched out a living and everything. And, and you say to yourself, I know every one of us is saying, yeah, but you don't know my bills. Exactly. 
Because it's a lifestyle issue, not an income issue. To the people that Jesus is speaking to, understand this. The people that Jesus is speaking to here live on $1 a day. The equivalent of $1 a day. It was a really, really big step of faith to honor the Sabbath and take a day off. When they're talking about daily bread, it's a reality. The average lifespan of an adult male in Jesus' day would be 40 years old. Most of us here are already dead. (laughs) Living conditions were not very good. Health was not very good. And we look at what we have today, and we live much, much more richly. We have better health. We live longer in every single way. We are far, far richer. And you would think, you would think with all that we have, we would have licked this worry problem. But let me ask you, do you think we worry more today about our living or less than those in Jesus' time? I think more. Because the more you have, the more you worry about it. And the worry problem is this. It's a worry of a divided heart. That's what we talked about last week. As long as my perspective, as long as my loyalty, as long as my treasure is in two different kingdoms, I will worry. And I will be a slave to this myth of more. And what Jesus is continuing on. Now remember last week where we left off, this is you know a week ago, This is actually in Jesus' setting. It's the very next sentence. The very next sentence. In fact, you got to go back to the sentence before where we ended last week. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, and when Bible 101, okay? You don't know anything else about studying the Bible. Anytime you come across the word therefore, you stop and look what it's there for. Okay? That's it. Now, Now you know how to study the Bible. Because he's building on everything that he just talked about. He's, talking to, he's been talking about our divided treasure. He's been talking about our divided perspective. He's been talking about our divided slavery to two masters. And he says, you can't live that way. Therefore, based on everything that we talked about last week, and if you weren't here last week, download the podcast. You're on your own. I can't go through all that all over again. <laughs> but based on all of those things that we talked about last week, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. When we are a slave to the master of more, the greatest evidence of it is worry. If you worry about your finances, if you worry about your money, you are living in divided camps. And that, that is the evidence of it. And in contrast, in contrast, Jesus says very, very, something very, very different. When we think of more, it's about how much more we want, how much more we would like to have, how much more we would like to buy, how much more we would like. Listen how Jesus uses the word money, uh, more. He says, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes. In other words, he is saying there is more to life than the pursuit of more. That's the bottom line. That's what he's saying. Now, it's not, it's not that there's a problem with earning. You know, he's not, he's not saying it's not a good thing to earn. It's not a good thing to save. It's not a good thing to plan. It's not a good thing to provide for your family. That's not what he is saying. What he's saying is don't let it be the thing that drives your life. It is a distraction. 
It is worry. And in fact, he takes it one step further and he goes on and says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Not just more, much more. So all of your worrying, all of your scurrying, all this stuff, you don't, if you don't stop and recognize how truly rich you are, you will be caught up in this cycle of more for the rest of your life. He says, look, look at the birds. They don't go through all of this, but your heavenly Father takes care of them. If he takes care of them, how much more will he take care of you? And I know in the back of your mind, people are thinking this, thinking, but if I surrender my finances, because what he's saying is he's going to take care of my needs. So that means if I surrender my finances to God, that means I'm going to have to live a bare bones existence. Because I can't expect any wants. I just get my needs. And who wants to live on just your needs? But he's saying, no, your heavenly Father loves you much more. Which is what he goes on and says in the second part of what he's talking about here. He says, learn then to be content in God's provision. See, what it really comes down to is what do we think of God? And a lot of people have this vision of God as if he is Ebenezer Scrooge. And you just got to beg and beg and beg to give a little more, one more lump of coal on the fire so you could stay warm for the winter. And you just got to drag out of God everything that you possibly could need or want that God doesn't want to give it to you and he's just really, really stingy and you really got to beg hard at it. And then maybe, maybe, maybe if the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future show up, you'll get something from him. But Jesus' portrayal of God, the Father, is very, very different. Look at what he says. He says, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, look at how the flowers of the field grow. I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes them, will he not much more clothe you? What is your perception of God? Jesus says, your heavenly Father cares about you. In fact, look at how he cares for the rest of his creation. Look at how he cares. Look at how he cares for the birds. Look at how he cares for the flowers of the field. Look at how he does that. Aren't you much more valuable? That's your heavenly Father. God didn't just make this creation and then step back and let everybody fend for themselves. In fact, the description that we have throughout Scripture is God is intimately involved in His creation. The birds of the air eat because God feeds them because He's a good God. And the flowers of field are beautiful because God made them that way. That's your God. That's your Heavenly Father. He cares. He is loving. He is generous. He is good. And you need to understand that because you will never get to, the, to contentment unless you begin to realize how beautifully God provides. And I think one of, the reason, one of the reasons why more never satisfies is because we are not just material beings. Our deepest desire is spiritual. And I think a lot of our pursuit of more is trying to fill a void 
with material things that cannot be filled with material things. That's why it never satisfies. And our hunger and our desire for more ought to be telling us something that no matter how much we pursue it, it's still not enough. There must be something more. We were meant to live in communion with God. We were meant to live in trust of God. We were meant and designed to live in confidence with God. That's why way, way back when he introduced this whole subject, Jesus started by teaching his, his, his disciples a prayer. And one of the big parts of his prayer was, give us today our daily bread. Because he wants us to live in trust with him. And I think one of the benefits of the economic turndown that our, downturn that our country is experiencing is it makes us step back and take a look at what am I really trusting? Am I trusting that mutual fund? Am I trusting that 401k? Am I trusting Social Security? We were not meant to trust those things. We were meant to trust our God. And when we go through times of economic hardship or belt tightening or whatever you want to call it, part of the lesson and all, one of the benefits of all of this is where do I really put my trust? Solomon, wisest king Israel ever had, wrote these words. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, Who's the Lord? In other words, don't fill my coffers, don't fill my bank account, don't fill my pantry so much that I forget where it all came from. Because I might think it's all mine. And I might think I earned this all by myself. And I might think I'm the one who provides for all of my needs. And I might say to myself, well, who's God? Who needs Him? Because I got all I need. I did it myself. It's not. Because you weren't meant to live that way. We learn contentment. It's not something that comes naturally. There's no easy button for this one, okay? We learn contentment. And we learn contentment one day at a time. That's the whole idea. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, teach me to trust you today for my needs. Otherwise, I might think, I did this all by myself and I don't need you. We learn it one day at a time. John Ortberg, in his book, um, It All Goes Back in the Box, uses an example of this, and it's a really a great illustration. It's really a good, a good practice for us. And he talks about um, one of his favorite uh, cartoon strips is a, is a Peanuts cartoon strip, and it's Snoopy, you know, and he's kind of sitting on the, laying on the top of his doghouse, and it's Thanksgiving Day, and he's dreaming of turkey and giblets and mashed potatoes, and he's going to have this great feast because it's Thanksgiving, and, and Charlie Brown comes out to feed him and puts, another, you know, puts down a bowl of regular old dog food. And he rolls out and he, he looks down at the dog food because he had all these dreams of beautiful Thanksgiving dinner and all he's got is just regular old dog food. And he says to himself, well, it could be worse. I could have been born a turkey. <laughs> now he says, here's what we should do. Here's an exercise that we can all practice. And it's learning those three simple words. It could, four simple words, it could be worse. See, it could be worse. This is how you train yourself in contentment. So when you walk out of here and you go to your 10-year-old car and it's parked next to a brand new 2008 Lexus 
and you're thinking to yourself, I wish I had that car, what instead you will say to yourself is, it could be worse. Yes. And when you drive home, when you park in your driveway and you think to yourself, I wish I had a bigger, nicer, newer house, and you will now then, instead of thinking those thoughts, you will say to yourself, it could be worse. Yeah. And when you go to work tomorrow morning and you're driving in rush hour traffic and you're thinking to yourself, if only I had a job that was closer to home that paid me more than I could live on so I wouldn't have to sit in all this traffic. Instead, you will think to yourself, it could be worse. And tomorrow morning, when you wake up and you roll over and you look at your spouse in bed and you... No, we won't go there. (laughs) Just kidding. Howard Dayton, Howard Dayton writes in his book about at the end of World War II, um, as, as the Allied forces came in and, and took back territory, there were, there were tons and tons of war orphans. And, and so they, they gathered them together and they tried to care for them. And they made sure that they were well cared for. They took care of them medically. They provided for them food and just were feeding them. And, and here's one of the things that they found is all of these World War II orphans, no matter how much they fed them, they still didn't sleep comfortably. They slept fitful sleeps. And here's what they did. They gave every orphan, when they went to bed, a piece of bread to hold in their hand. It wasn't for eating, because they'd already fed them all that they needed. They fed them till they were absolutely full. But they gave them a piece of bread to take with them to bed. And what they discovered was, when they did that, the kids slept far more soundly. Because they knew, if nothing else, subconsciously, I've got bread for tomorrow. And what Jesus wants us to understand, and what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand is, we will have bread for tomorrow. That's what he's saying. That's why he teaches us to pray that way. It's all about contentment. And we learn contentment when we recognize God is in control. And God cares for me. And God is one I can trust for everything that I need. That's why Paul wrote to his young, uh, young student. He's, he wrote these words, 1 Timothy 6, 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And the trap and the temptation is more. That's it. We keep thinking there is this itch that if we scratch it long enough, it won't itch us anymore. He says that is not the answer. The answer is godliness with contentment. And that is something you have to learn. And so one final thought, and this is huge because this is how it all happens for you. Instead of pursuing more, Pursue a lifestyle that honors God. That's what Jesus said. He said the pagans run after all these things. Now, pagans, okay, that's just a word for non-believers, okay? It's not, you know, heathens in some far-off country, okay? It's just people who don't believe. That's all Jesus is referring to. He says the people who don't believe, those non-believers, they run after these things. This is how they live their lives, pursuing more. He said, that, that, that's how they live all of their life because they've got nothing else. They don't know any other source of, of protection. They don't know any other source of provision. So that's how they live their life. They live their life running after these things. But he says, you seek first 
his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, live differently. You have a heavenly father that you know who has promised to care for you. So don't spend your whole life running after, scratching after, trying to gain more. Live your life differently. Live it in a way that honors God. Because it's not an income issue. I said this at the beginning. The issue is not income. The issue is lifestyle. And Jesus says, you start taking care of lifestyle. If you will properly address lifestyle, he will take care of income. That's what he's saying. If you will seek his kingdom first and his righteousness first, if you will address the lifestyle issue, he will provide the rest. All these other things will be added to you as well. Because adding income just feeds more. If you were to chart over the last 10, 15, 20 years, however long you've been employed, maybe even longer than that, okay? And if you just kind of graphed it out, and you know, here on, the, on the one side is you know, dollars, on this side is time, on the bottom is time, and you were to graph it out, it probably shows some kind of a steady increase up and to the right, okay? Income has gone up. For most of us, I would say. Probably all of us. Income has gone up over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Now, if on top of that line, you also graphed the lifestyle line, what would it look like? For a lot of us, that lifestyle line would follow right along, track right along with the income line. And here's the problem with that. When your income when your lifestyle is driving your income and your lifestyle is always matching exactly penny for penny, lifestyle to income, when you do that, when we hit times like we have right now, when we hit hard economic times or you lose a job, see, you're on very, very tenuous ground. This is really, really shaky ground because if the income drops, lifestyle's above it and you're in trouble. And for most of us, well, maybe not most, a lot of us, a lot of us, if we actually graphed it out, the lifestyle line is just a little bit above the income line. And so income is trying to constantly keep up with lifestyle. And that gap is what is called debt. <laughs> it is paying tomorrow for how I'm living today. And they never catch up. And when economic calamity hits, when you lose a job, you end up upside down. You are in deep trouble. Now, Jesus says, change the lifestyle graph. If the income graph goes like this and the lifestyle graph stays below it or gets to a point where you say, okay, here I can level off or not quite so steeply inclined, then what you've got, that difference in between, that's called breathing room. <laughs> that's called stress and worry-free. That is called take a deep breath because you're not in serious financial trouble when stuff goes bad. And Jesus said, it's not the trouble's never going to come. Jesus says, don't worry about it. Tomorrow will have enough trouble its own. You know, trouble's going to come. He says, be prepared. And the way that you be prepared is you keep lifestyle lower than the income graph. Does that make sense? 
you know why Jesus is the wisest guy in the world when it comes to finances? Because he understands this stuff. Better than Alan Greenspan, better than Bob Bernanke or anybody else you want. Jesus knew this 2,000 years ago. This is liberating stuff. This isn't bondage. This is freedom. This is breathing room. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And all God's people who have a 401k that is less than it was a year ago said, amen. Yeah. It is so uncertain. If you are putting your trust and your faith in that, you are headed for calamity. Because it just takes one little thing to throw that whole, that whole thing out, out of kilter. Established lifestyle, a little bit lower than income. And then you will have breathing room. Then you will understand, God will take care of all of that. You take care of the lifestyle issues. He will take care of the income. That's what Jesus is saying. Now again, if you think that means, okay, bare bones existence, I'm never going to be able to have any fun, I'm never going to be able to go out to dinner, I'm never going to be able to go on vacation. That is not the case. Look at what else Paul goes on to Timothy. He says, command them not to be rich, this in this present world, not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides, richly provides, provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Oh, you mean I get to enjoy? Yes. Yes, you do. But the enjoyment comes when you establish the lifestyle first. Otherwise, you're just trying to keep up with it by your income. And that's not enjoyable. That is not enjoyable God isn't saying that all you get is the bare bones the bare minimum the one piece of daily bread and that's all you get because that's all you're allotted for today that's not what he's saying he's saying he has provided for us and he gives to us so that we can enjoy life he's not talking about austerity or complete self-denial yes it's okay to enjoy but but he says Make sure that you keep God's kingdom first. That's what Jesus said. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and the income stuff will be taken care of. And Paul says the same thing. How do you do this? How do you pursue God's kingdom? How do you pursue his righteousness first? Paul goes on, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share and in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age this is what jesus is talking about this is what he's talking about remember we talked about it last week store up for yourself treasures in heaven seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness what does that look like what does that look like to do good to be rich in good deeds to be generous and willing to share now, last week, we put in your bulletin, in your program, a handout. Pull it out. There's another one in there today. Okay, this is designed to help you track your giving. And your homework, and I won't ask you to show your, hand, show your hands, but next week I will, okay? Your homework last week was to go home 
and start tracking for the week your income, saving all those receipts, putting them down, listing them on this paper. There's another one in your, in your program this morning, so you can do it again this week. The idea is to start tracking your spending. Find out where, where your lifestyle sits, okay? But here's the next assignment, and you can start thinking about this this week. We'll help you a little bit more with it next week. Here's the assignment. As you look at this, start saying, okay, where could I adjust my lifestyle? What choices? Because this, this is the key. This is absolutely, if you want to know the secret, here it is. You have a choice. You have a choice. And most of us, most of us in our culture lives with make it all, spend it all, live for tomorrow. And, and when it comes down to it, I make it all, I spend it all. If I have a little left over, I'll put some in savings. But, and I'd really like to be a giver, I'd really like to be generous, but I don't have the money. So Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. So here, you might have noticed this. I don't know if you did last week, but I'm going to point it out to you this week. On this list, the very first thing is giving. The very second thing is saving. Because if you do it the other way, you will never fill those two blanks. So you start. He says, how do you do this? How do you, how do you break content? How do you break this more cycle? How do you build contentment? You start giving. You be generous. You be rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share. He says, you do that first and let God take care of the rest. So decide on a percentage. You don't have to live at 100% of your income. And I strongly suggest you do not live at 120% of your income. (laughs) But you can live at 80%. You can. It's a lifestyle choice, but you can do it. God instructs us. 10% is his, off the top. First thing you do. 10%. It's all God's. 10% 10% just reminds you who's it really belongs, who it really belongs to. So you start with the giving. Then save 10%. Just put 10% of your income in savings. And then with the 80%, have a ball. Do whatever you want with it. Enjoy it. But put God's kingdom first. Take care of your future second. And then live on the rest. It's all God's, and he's letting you live on 80% of his stuff. I don't know anybody else that offers me that deal. If you don't do it first, you will not have the leftover to do it the other way around. You just won't. Let me read to you one more thing. And this is, by the way, a very, very helpful book, and it's pretty thick, and there's a lot of good stuff in it, and about 99.9% of it I agree with. Um, So I'm recommending it, and it's available for you at a resource center. But this is what Randy Alcorn says. How do you decide what a God-honoring lifestyle is? This is what he writes. We all have our own call from God. We shouldn't be preoccupied with God's plan for others, nor should we make comparisons. When Peter pressed Jesus concerning his plans for John, the Lord responded, what is that to you? You follow me. There are some things that no Christian should do, such as hoard money, live in opulence, or fail to give generously. But there are other things that some Christians can freely do that others cannot or choose not to do, such as own land, a home, 
a car, a business, go on certain vacations, or spend money in, uh, money in other ways. How much money and how many possessions can we safely keep? Enough to care for our basic needs and some wants, but not so much that we are distracted from our central purpose or that large amounts of money are kept or that large amounts of money are kept from higher kingdom causes and not so much that we become proud and independent of the Lord not so much that it distracts us from our purpose or insulates us from our need to depend on God Do you bow your heads with me as we pray Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.